Oh, wig. It's hot local singles. Hot. Local. Singles. Welcome to Hot Local Singles. Welcome to Against. Hi, listener. Welcome to Against, a special episode of Hot Local Singles. So who are we pitting against each other this time? It's true. We um we take this opportunity to often pit women against each other. Albums in particular, less so the women. Yeah. But in this case, we're doing two kind of, like, how do you even describe these people? Like, pop stars, right? For a description. But they transcend that. From the um, late 2000s, early 2010s, we have mm. Nadia O oh with her album Hot Like Wow. And we have Farah Abraham with mm. her album My Teenage Dream Ended. Period. That's that's it. Period. Her teenage dream ended. One of them had a better end of the decade than the other, it sounds like. Yeah. <laughs> one's like having fun, the other one's like... One's having her teenage dream end. <laughs> apparently. So yeah, those are the albums. Nadia O oh is pop star, period, I think. Farah yes. started as a reality star. She was on 16 and Pregnant or something. Or Teenage Mom? Teen Mom? I don't even know what's what. We should know. We should know. <laughs> no, but I think it's both. I literally think she's been on, in both. Like, it's oh two God. different shows. I guess that's her job now. Yeah, true. Okay. Yeah, yeah. I know a little career. 16 and Pregnant is the first show of that and then teen mom is like a spin-off uh, of 16 and pregnant but it's the same shit because it's the same yes. past, the same bullshit okay i guess no here's a t the first series is when they're pregnant teen mom is when they have the kids okay we crack the code she becomes a teen mom yes that yeah, makes exactly. sense yeah <laughs> logically <laughs> yeah nadia o is kind of or let's say was completely embedded in the music, the pop music scene at the time. Mm. Um, I guess we should start with background. Let's fill everyone in. We're going to play clips for you, listener, because I think in previous Against, um, the albums were a little bit more self-explanatory, maybe. Yeah, and like well-known. Like we literally did our pop last, so yeah. Yeah, but like nothing about this is self-explanatory, so we're going to give you clips of songs. I guess we'll start with Nadia's background, right? She is a former... English singer, rapper, producer, and current model. Born May 26th, 1990. Okay, old. Uh, very relatable age. <laughs> <laughs> okay, geriatric millennial, sure. <laughs> uh, she has two studio albums, Hot Like Wow in 2008, and Colors, spelled mm-hmm. with a U, in 2011. Both entirely produced by Space Cowboy, who we mainly know from producing a few earlier Lady Gaga songs. Yeah. The official genres for her career are electropop electro house electro grime and ghetto tech not ghetto tech <laughs> that's the thing i guess but yeah i don't know about that years active 2006 to 2012 she burned fast and bright yeah you may know her singles <laughs> pause for laughs, <laughs> uh no you actually you you very well might singles included my egyptian lover okay something for the weekend got your number and later on, taking over the dance floor, No Bueno, right. Slapper, and others. And yeah, pure pop, as pure I, as it gets. The first single that I heard from her was Taking Over the Dance Floor, which is not on the album that we were discussing, but the album after, Colors with a U. Yes. And it's such a bop. It's like literally like out of this world, just like yeah, in your face, bopalicious pop. Yeah, exactly. Super maximal. Yeah. Pretty of the moment, Um, you know, late. 2000s mm-hmm. 
LMFAO era. So yeah, we'll get into that. But why don't you tell me, Juan, about Farah? Farah Abram is an American... Oh, wait, sorry. Farah Abram, born on May 31st, 1991. We have to check the ages. Wow, yeah. So like a year after Nadia O, May 31st, she must be a Gemini, I think. Whatever. Mm. Anyways, American reality television star, singer, and writer, born in Omaha, Nebraska. Um, and then, yeah, she became famous when she was in 16 and pregnant in 2009. And that her story was like very particular and like became huge too because as the show was filming the father of her kid died in a car accident like right before the baby was born that's crazy so it's like it was like such a tragic thing yeah huge tabloid event essentially yeah yeah that basically made her and like that show was really popular when it came out i remember my sister watched it a lot and like this is like in colombia like people were watching 16 and pregnant i remember a couple of characters i remember like there was like this a couple that was like literally like 13 or something, I don't know. But yeah, Farrah Abraham is that she released her album, My Teenage Dream Ended, in 2012, a few weeks after she released a book by the same name. Yes. So the book became really popular, like New York Times bestseller list. Um, but <laughs> What is kind of, a New York Times bestseller? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, literally, yeah. And it's the same title for both, but it's not the same content. Like the lyrics of the album are not in the book. Right. Ever since she hasn't released any more music and she sort of kept doing the more reality star career path. Mm-hmm. And ever since she's been in like every single MTV reality show that you can imagine. Like I was just watching a clip of her getting into a fight with some lady in in, in a reality show called like Marriage Therapy or something. And mm-hmm. she apparently went there single. Oh my God. So yeah. Anyways, she's just like a reality star. And today she has like a YouTube channel. She tweets a lot. Um, very dubious politics, I would say. She's like half her tweets are like against the Democrats, some pro Trump, and then a oh. lot of like pro like sexual assault, assault survivor stuff. It's just like kind of all over the mm. place, but we'll let her have her own politics, I guess. We'll allow it. It's interesting. Yeah, she's still a star to some TV networks anyway. Um, yeah. To like the e newses of the world, she's still a source of headlines. I saw exactly. from like this week. There was yeah, stuff. no, literally, yeah. And she was recently in the spotlight because of Chrissy Teigen. Apparently, mm. Chrissy Teigen bullied her. Yes. Yeah. So she retweeted recently a bunch of shit, just being like, "Fuck Chrissy Teigen." Literally, fair Abram. By the way, do we say Abraham or do we just say Abram? I say Abraham, but I don't know. Is it Abram? Maybe it's Abram. I don't know. I mean, it's spelled Abraham. Like, I just feel like I always thought it was Abram. But anyways, that like, the way she canceled Chrissy Teigen is kind of heroic. Like, I can't believe it was Farah Abraham who did that. But it was also Courtney Stoden or whatever. Oh, you're right. I got confused. They're not the same person. Yeah, no. (laughs) And Courtney did most of the canceling. I think Farah just jumped on it because, like... Farah piled on, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Because, I mean, there was so... I mean, Chrissy had bullied so many people that Farrah was a part of it. Like, that was a rare case where, you know what, I felt bad for Chrissy by the end. Like, her cookware line got removed from Nordstrom. <laughs> I was like, fuck. I don't, I don't feel bad. If Not the one, cookware. If there's one kind of person I don't feel bad for getting canceled is the cancelers. Like, you are yeah, the one yeah, who yeah, fosters yeah. this sort of, like, culture, so... Mm-hmm. Justice come... for the late 2000s celebrities, I guess, right? Yeah. Justice for Alison Roman, who was cancelled by Chrissy Teigen. <laughs> <laughs> no comment on that. Oh, but what about Nadia O nowadays? What is she up to? She vanished. Um, okay. Much like Space Cowboy, the producer, she mm-hmm. 
is off what's the, what's the phrase not off the hook um off the off the grid <laughs> low key for love low key for love <laughs> yeah didn't know the assignment <laughs> <laughs> the assignment was to stay in the spotlight the assignment was to be a pop star still and she didn't know that so she vanished she also has a twitter much less of a social media star than farah is in fact you can barely find Nadia's Twitter. Like, it was hard to find. I had to use her full mm. name, which I should say is Nadia Oates. Oates? <laughs> N- nice classic British last name for you, <laughs> milady. <laughs> Not milady. And, um, yeah, she's a little right-wing as well. Um, mm. She was a big fan of Piers Morgan. Interesting. So was really upset when he left Good Morning Britain this year. Um, but otherwise it's super normal, like watches a ton of TV, um, <laughs> literally is just like tweeting about what she's watching and cooking type of thing, but like not in any kind of front facing way. It's a very stream of consciousness, like very few followers. Like right. I found it by mistake. You understand? Like yeah, yeah, yeah. it's not really a public account, but she's gone. She vanished. When I was doing a bit of research on Nadia, I don't, I think it was on like pop heads or something and people were like speculating that she never existed. Like someone was saying that she was a creation of Space Cowboy or something. That's how like yeah. off the grid she is now. Yeah, That's a great point. Yeah. Um, yeah. It didn't help that like she was always very airbrushed, you know? Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. I was yeah gonna say, and like uh, these days she's like, you can find her on um, a source models.co.uk page. <laughs> she has her own modeling profile. Yeah. So like she always was a model, but like now it seems like she really is modeling or maybe she always just was a model lifted by space cowboy and almost like a hannah diamond or like better example hey cutie type of vibe Mm -hmm, you mm -hmm. know so like no one knows i think she's real honestly um, i think for reasons i'll get into later but it's just it's rare that you find someone so almost erased from the internet yeah and from public culture so the ladies have in common that they both kind of, well, Nadia had two, Farah had one album, but essentially they made music in this era that we were talking about, late 2000s, early 2010s, but ever since they stopped. But they left a big mark in music, which is, I think, why we decided to talk about these albums today. They kind of left a giant meteor hole in their wake. <laughs> We're still recovering from that. Yeah. <laughs> the tremors we feel to this very day. I did forget to mention the genres on Wikipedia for this, and they're really funny for Farah. Mm-hmm. It's outsider, dance pop, house, avant-garde, and noise. Noise. <laughs> noise. Indeed. The avant-garde thing, we'll get into it when we talk about the reception. So let's, um, let's talk about the sound um, of these two albums, because we've been alluding to it. Mm-hmm. For the first ten minutes, and I think we should like play clips and then discuss what we hear. Yeah, because listener, it's okay if you don't know what we're talking about. Hopefully, you will within sixty or so seconds. So, I'll start with Nadia O. Here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to start with a clip from Gossip Girl, because Gossip Girl was like, I mean, a lot of teen TV shows are known for kind of unique music choices. Yeah, and Gossip Girl was no different. The soundtrack is crazy. First season, episode 13, where Serena is spotted buying a pregnancy (laughs) test. For Blair. Yeah, and because it's 2008, she's like shamed and publicly ridiculed and Mm. everyone finds out. (laughs) And it's for some reason an issue to buy a pregnancy test. This is the song in that scene when she's like having her picture taken, snapped on a cell phone camera in the drugstore. On like a flip phone. On a flip phone. It's called Got My Number. It is 
full stop, one of the best songs I've ever heard, okay? Period. That's on period. And here it is. Monologue and everything. What's the difference between gossip and scandal? So glad you asked, UES Forever. Anyone can commit a minor indiscretion and generate a day's worth of buzz. But in order for gossip to birth a true scandal, it requires the right person to be in the wrong place. And you smell back. Take one it girl on a pedestal. Which do you recommend? Add a crowd eager to see her fall and give them the means to knock her down. <laughs> I just have to say the music supervisor for Gossip Girl deserves a Grammy, an Oscar, and a Tony. <laughs> What? You okay? <laughs> Imagine the poor, like, audio person or editor who had to do that. <laughs> yeah. So that is the iconic Got Your Number mm-hmm. by none other than Nadia O. I'll play one more because, honestly, the sound varies a lot. Like, it sounds a lot like the time it was made in, 2008. But it sounds like all of 2008 and that whole era at once, you know? Like, mm-hmm. that's how maximal it is. Yeah. It's hard to explain. It's like... If you think back to like The Way I Are by Timbaland. That's exactly what I was going to say, because they have on that show a lot of that stuff. Yes. Yeah. So it's like that, but it's like it's like those Timbaland productions like Promiscuous Girl and Sexy mm-hmm. Back. But it's also like more EDM, like like a G6, like Afi, Pop the Glock. Just to see at times. Yeah. Bit of Ed Banger for sure. Certain mm-hmm. tracks are like basically French House. Yeah. And it was probably scary at the time, but <laughs> it sounds like positively... 2008 these days you know yeah so sorry let me play one more i mean what should i play should i fa- play a favorite or like a single probably hot like wow right yeah hot like wow title track So good. So good. I don't even think it was like a trend at the time, really, but like tons of like kind of Middle Eastern elements. And like, obviously, her song is called My Egyptian Lover. Yeah. So it's sort of like, I don't know, it's like Slumdog Millionaire echoes or something. Totally. Well, it was, it was MIA's time. She was the queen of pop for a bit. So definitely there's that influence. Yeah. Absolutely. And I would argue XXXO would fit perfectly on this album. Totally. I mean, when I first listened to Taking Over the Dance Floor, th- the first thing that I thought was MIA. So there's definitely a bit of that. Mm-hmm. But like, um, what's the song? Got Your Number has like those like, like Timbaland elements that you were saying. Yes. Too. This one is yes. a bit less Timbaland, a bit more. I don't even know. Like a G6. Yeah. Um, yeah, this song is crazy. Um, there's all different kinds of stuff. Like some songs are fully Pussycat Dolls, which also I would argue is Timbaland. Yeah. Not even I would argue, it just is. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> just factually, yes. Um, it's super high energy, maximal, relentless, it's like tons of sound effects, you know? Like there's a song called City Nights in particular that has like spray paint sounds, traffic sounds, <laughs> sirens, car crashes, like throughout. Okay, Peppa Pig. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Like fully all of it. So I hear like the vocal processing of Danielle Harrell in some of it and A.G. Cook, like the kind of high pitched chorus effect in a song called that kind of girl i really hear it on that one Mm -hmm. rip it up could have been an ipod commercial 
I mean, it's just like, it's so high energy. Obviously not a ballad to be found, thank God. No, yeah. Taste in that way. <laughs> you fucking ballad hater. And then we have to do the lyrics. We have to get into the fucking lyrics. Right? Yeah. <laughs> so I wanted to start with that kind of girl. Mm. I'm the kind of girl that doesn't do dishes. I'm the kind of girl to grant your wishes. I'm the kind of girl that your girlfriend hates. Wow. I'm the kind of girl that your boyfriend dates. And you know I will taste delicious. It's like very, very Pussycat Dolls. Very Pussycat Dolls. But her delivery is so, so different. So monotone. So mm-hmm. straight-faced. So, like, you believe her when she's saying these things. But it didn't sound like pop at the time. You know, it wasn't mm-hmm. like... I don't know. It wasn't... I don't even know how to describe it. It was just... It was colder than, like, the kind of overproduced stuff that sounded similar. It was straight-faced. It was, like... It wasn't ironic at all. Right. But it wasn't knowing either. Like, it was... It was something altogether. Um, and, Juan, recently you tweeted lyrics to a song yeah. called... Kate. What was it called? Kate Middleton? That, no, but that's Taking Over the Dance Floor. Taking Over the Dance Floor from the next album. Still similar vibe. Um, we get at Poppington, up in the Clubbington. Wee, 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 Kate Middleton. Wee, 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 Swaggington. <laughs> like, she also invented our group chat and, like, the way we talk yeah. in Discord. Like, <laughs> and Paddington Bear. She invented Paddington Bear. Paddington <laughs> Station. <laughs> she is British. She is British, yeah. <laughs> Literally hilarious. Um, but again, yeah. straight face. So you're like, hmm. it's weird. Yeah, it's weird. It's weird to kind of parse. But anyways, that's Nadia O, lyrics and sound. Mm-hmm. Tell me more about Farah. I guess I'll start by doing a really brief comparison between the two and that. They're, they, the sounds are not that similar, but Nadia O is a bit more like compositionally better, I think. And I'm just saying this because it's like, why did we put them together? Because I feel like Nadia O's songs are like, a, like specifically the ones we talked about our song that from start to finish really work. And that's mm. something that Fairy Abraham is not going to do for you guys. Like the songs <laughs> are just all over the place and maximal too, like Nadia, but just yeah. like completely deranged. Like no real chords. No like, real chords. No, no melodies. Like, yeah. No me- the, yeah. If you're looking at melody or a hook or anything like that in this album, please go so- go elsewhere because you're not going to find it here. Yeah. But anyways, the whole album was produced by this guy called Frederick Cuevas. Uh, and he was talking about a bit how it all came to be. And essentially he was just hired like freelance by uh, Farah to produce a thing. And they sat down and he was like, so what kind of music do you want? Like, do you want this to sound like or what do you like and she played benny benassi a song called cinema and that became yes. like the backbone of the whole album oh my god taste yeah so if i <laughs> would have if i had to describe the album in like one genre or like one influence for me dubstep is the thing that pops up the most i know that people like describe this album a lot as being like i don't know maximalist pop which is true but i think dubstep the like woo 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 sounds and even a lot of the like synths remind me so much of like Swedish House Mafia. Mm-hmm. Like if you play On My Own, do you mind playing that little clip? That is one of the main songs on the album that was that received the most attention for being like, depending on your perspective, either really good or really bad. Um, mm-hmm. And that song to me just like starts with this like, it's not a piano, I guess it's like a keyboard-ish. That. Oh, wow. That to me sounds so like Swedish House Mafia was doing with like the, I think the song is the one or something. 
Sounds like cinema too, I think. Yeah, true. Obviously, <laughs> if that's the <laughs> reference. Yeah, there's for. <laughs> Anyways, that's that song. Um, Do you want to play After Prom, too? Yeah, let's play After Prom right now, actually, yeah. So, yeah, After Prom is the second song off the album. Uh, it comes right after a song called The Phone Call That Changed My Life. I don't. I think After Prom is about her conceiving the baby, because, yeah, the whole, the whole concept of the album is, like, her retelling the story of becoming a teenage mom. Okay, so After Prom explains itself. After Prom, exactly, yeah. And there's a lot of, like, camera sounds to signify her, like, celebrity status. Any whispery sounds? Yes. Shh, don't tell. Don't, tell. don't let it get out. <laughs> Hot and dangerous. <laughs> this is so, we are who we are. Yeah, 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 true. This is so Crystal Castles to me, actually. Yeah, that's the other comparison that I was going to make. Crystal Castles, Salem, a lot of, like, witch house of the time... Really, just yes. like how, like, yeah, yeah. Oh my god, crazy. The thing that's so mystifying about it, listener, you just heard a couple of clips, is obviously the vocals. Like, if anything, yeah. the production is crazy, but it's pretty straight up or like fairly recognizable. Like, we have a lot of references for it. It's the yeah. vocals that really throw the whole thing into disarray, or not even like either disarray or, or like completion, whatever your perspective is. But essentially, the vocals are just so fucking weird. They're like, they're never with the beat, and that's something that people took notice of when the album was released. And then recently, I think a few years ago, the producer like finally broke his silence and did an interview for Fader, in which he oh. said, these are the words that he said, she actually recorded everything without ever hearing the music. Oh, <laughs> my God, that explains so much. It explains everything about this album. Like, essentially, like... What he said is that she came into it not really knowing anything about music. She came into it with her journal, which is like the journal of a teenage girl. So a lot of the lyrics are that. And then she was like, produce something. And there was never like a marriage between what, how the words would be delivered and the production. So he was saying that he had to use a lot of autotune to make things sound okay. And then he says something like, Essentially, shading her saying like saying that she was a really bad singer. So he says like autotune when you're a good singer sounds really good. And he uses I think like T Pain as an example. I forget who. And she's like, but when you're a bad singer, autotune just starts sounding really bad. And he says like, so like you might not. He says like you might not like the notes that are that she's hitting, but at least they're tuned because it's like oh autotune obviously. So he like literally tuned her for her, yeah. And that's kind of like the whole album. It's very maximal too. It's a lot of like all over like the plays and like after prom there's samples of like different sounds that are not necessarily musical like camera sounds there's like mm -hmm. whispery vocals there's like all this stuff there's a couple of ballads or not ballads but like low tempo songs like liar liar and which i think i think that one's about her dad so the album is a pretty varied in terms of like energies but the sound is all of that like it's all maximal it's all like Crystal Castles means many Benassi meets like spoken word poetry by a teenage girl, um, <laughs> auto-tuned. And lyrically, I mean, lyrically, it's just that. I feel like the most interesting lyric is that she opens by saying, I can only put so much in a song. But then she goes and puts so much in that song. Like, she literally just puts right. everything she can in the first song. 
But some lyrical highlights are in the song, the other song that he played on my own, she says, unlike Adele, I know every side of you, the games you play, the never true words that you would say you never want. So this is a reference to Adele's hit Fire to the Rain, but it's just like so clunky. So obviously just like lyrically, it's just never, it was never meant to be sung. And then she obviously doesn't really sing it. And it just reads like a, like a journal. Honestly, if you're like, if you're listening to the album without genius, it's also pretty hard to decipher what it is that she's saying. Yeah. Um, I mean, the timeline lines up for the Crystal Castles reference to be real, by the way. Like yeah. the producer, if especially if he went to a studio, made the songs for her without any input, like yeah. he probably just liked the Crystal Castles album. Like everyone kind of did at the time. And he actually says that he wasn't, he wasn't into electronic music, but I guess he had to because she tasked him with, uh, like a Bandy Benassi sounding album. So maybe he just like went and found Crystal Castles or something. I'm going to stream cinema later. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, it's like, it's a pretty, honestly, like a pretty demanding album to listen to. I had to sit start to finish and I did both start to finish. And obviously <laughs> the Nadia O was like, my ears thanked me so much because I did fair first and then Nadia. And my ears were just so happy for melodies and hooks and yes. and stuff. I mean, obviously we'll get into it with the reception stuff and there's some merit to what Pharaoh is doing, but I think musically it's pretty challenging to listen to. And yeah. And it sounds a lot like Gex, I guess is what people compare it to nowadays in terms of like after the fact, but I think even Gex has melodies thrown around. Mm-hmm. And there's not like and I mean this has moments where it's like pleasant, but it's not something that is like it's not bubblegum pop, essentially, is what I'm trying to say. It's not that. Yeah. Where I think Nadia sometimes does manage to get that energy more. It's more of an ebook. <laughs> it's like Lana Del Rey singing is. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, that's what I like about Nadia O and Space Cowboy. It's from an era when the pop form was still sacred. Like, totally. you had to write a bridge still. You had to have an outro still. Mm-hmm. It wasn't like, I mean, there are two-minute songs, but they're complete thoughts. They're full yeah, thoughts. Yeah with hooks, with melodies, with everything. And it's not like Fair Abram was from that different of a time. There's only like, what, four years in between mm-hmm. them? But it's just that Fair Abram is an outsider artist. Yeah. No, totally. I mean, that's a lot of what the discourse is. Like, she is considered to be an outsider artist, yeah. Yeah, because she has no concept or grasp of music theory, much like us. <laughs> and <laughs> If you didn't know from listening to this podcast. And literally, she... I mean, as we just found out, she didn't hear the music. She was never really in the studio with music happening. So that's just crazy. And you definitely can hear moments when the producer in post-production has lined up her words a little bit better. Not perfectly, Mm -hmm. but like at least a bit bit more on the note. Because otherwise it's like endless. There's like truly no rhythm coming from her whatsoever. Exactly. That's it. There's no rhythm. There's no melody from the vocals. I I will say that I think the producer did an amazing job. Yes. Grammy. You Grammy nominated, Grammy winning. Yeah, Billboard Music Award <laughs> winner. A song like After Prom that I played a bit, I think that's actually a really good song. Like, obviously it's challenging, but I think it's a really good song. And the way that he managed to like do this like dubstepy sound and add camera sounds and like different kinds of vocals, I think that he managed to do something pretty good with what he was given. And I think that mm. when people talk about this album, they give Farah a lot of credit that I think belongs a lot to the producer, if I'm being honest. Right. Yeah. Yeah, fair enough. She, um, I mean, it's a very poptimist, I think, to 
give Farah credit. Totally. I mean, that was I was exactly about to say that during yeah. the reception. Like that's it. Yeah. It's, it would be poptimist to give her all of the credit, but um, sometimes the producers do all the work. Honestly, like that's a that's a damning story for her to just not even ever <laughs> heard the music. Like you can't really, <laughs> I can't really work with that. You know what I mean? Like as a podcaster. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. Like, no, that's exactly how I felt. I was like, what am I going to say? Like, I can't give her any artistic merit. I mean, yeah. she did write the words. I'll give her that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And they are, like, it is, the album is a reflection of a teenage soul expressing the angst. And this is a very particular teenager who lost mm-hmm. the father of her kid at age, like, 17 or something. That, like, hardens you and that gives you, like, a really interesting story to relay. Yeah. And you hear that. You hear that in the album, but I do think that in terms of the music is obviously in the hands of the producer. Also, something I noticed about Nadia is that all of the songs were written by Mr. Cowboy. Fully a cowboy production, yeah, totally. I know, it's crazy. Um, We picked really bizarre albums, like, in sound, sure, whatever, but also just like, how they were made is baffling. In terms of Nadia, oh, we don't really know anything. No, exactly. So it's like we we picked things that like one isn't really made by an artist and two <laughs> m- might not even exist. Like insane. <laughs> like what is this episode? <laughs> but at the end of the day, you play them, especially with Nadia, and you have a good time. I think Farah, there's some of the moments. I think After Prom is a good moment. The Closer is a good moment. Honestly, no, there are good moments on yeah, Farah. Yeah. No, yeah, for sure. There are good for moments. Sure. Yeah. I think that how like weirdly they are in terms of artistry means that we have to move on to like the reception of it because a lot of the albums, the discussion of it or the discourse of it is about like the social implications of them, you know? Yeah, let's talk about it. Um, I'll do Nadia. Honestly, it's like a ghost entered the chat. Like with Nadia, <laughs> people knew about Nadia. Like, don't get me wrong. Um, listener and two-time co-host of the pod Christian has tons of tweets going back to 2011, tweeting at Nadia O. Oh. Um, so people knew about Nadia at the time, or at least around the time, right? Yeah. I mean, and the Gossip Girl exposure is really good at the end of the day. Exactly. The yeah. Gossip Girl exposure was iconic. That would have helped. My Egyptian Lover peaked at number 45 in the UK charts. That's not bad. Which just makes it all the more weird and crazy mm. that, like, we don't know anything about her and we don't really know what she's doing now. Or we don't know why she's not making music now, more accurately. Mm. Um there was like a press release that is basically some of the only info you can find about her. It mentions that she was played on the Scott Mills show on BBC Radio 1. Okay. But it was largely ignored by the general public, especially in terms of the album itself, which came out a few years after the singles came out. Mick Jacobs on a blog called Spectrum Culture said in 2019, unfortunately, people took Hot Like Wow as seriously as Nadia took her own lyrics. It felt <sighs> more of a form of amusement than a serious record. So, yeah, the lightheartedness, I guess, in a pre-poptimist world, didn't quite lend itself to career longevity. Yeah. And the, like, the the bright sound, the, like, pop, I mean, the popness of it Mm. um, wasn't taken seriously. The the popacity, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) But like I said, TV took notice because you have that clip from the first season of Gossip Girl, like, iconic. And get this... Ugly Betty. <laughs> it's played in Ugly Betty too. Also Iconic in the first season. Show. Iconic show. Yeah, it's like a shitty scene, honestly. Betty's in a club, like talking to a guy, like an gay, extra. Gay club or a street club? 
straight club. She's talking to like an ugly guy and like looking for someone else and the guy mm. gets mad at her. It's like overall not an iconic scene um, in an episode that's also not iconic where mm. Daniel sleeps with a model and then sleeps with another model and they end up being mother and daughter. Oh, dude, that, that is so ugly, buddy. Season one was just like too much show, you know? Like, <laughs> or like not enough, actually. Like they thought they were going to be over, so they just like... They put everything in it. They spread, like they, yeah, they stretched it out into into being like self-contained. Anyways, that show's fucking great. And also, but, it was like a time when there was like 24 episodes per season. Exactly, just too many, just too many. It's, yeah, it's not the point. But, um... I don't know. She was hot. Nadia, I mean. So <laughs> She is good looking, obviously, yeah. So yeah, like, I don't know. It just, it didn't lend itself to being taken seriously. They only review, and listener, please correct me in the Discord, but the only review I could literally find mm-hmm. was like an old version of the BBC Radio 1 website where it's like bbc.co.uk slash blogs slash chart blog. Like this, you, this, these domains don't exist anymore, <laughs> but they archive their old pages. So, because the song charted a bit in the UK, there was a little blog post about it for about my Egyptian lover. Mm. And it, it goes like this. Bah! How come everyone has gone hog wild over the Eric Pride's Pink Floyd remix when there's dance tracks as brilliantly head-spinning as this, making a bid for the big time? So if you think back to the late 20, uh, 2000s, there's a remix of like Bad Education, I think. Oh, we don't need no education. It was like an Eric Pratt's remix of that. Oh, like the the brick on the wall or whatever. Brick on the wall, yeah. yeah. And the Pink video Floyd, was like one? the video actually involved bricks. Like it was like <laughs> okay, a gang of teens in the UK, and they like went around making things more environmentally friendly. Do you yeah, remember this? I'm tapping out at that. I I hate that. They like <laughs> broke into someone's house, put a brick in someone's toilet water thing. Okay, Banksy. So I guess it doesn't fill up as much. Oh, okay, okay, okay. So it's referencing that. It's saying, why do people like that song so much when this Nadia O right. song exists? And why this is great, the use of wafty flutes playing one of those descending, <laughs> spiraling Egyptian melodies, which despite being from an entirely different part of the world to the shrieking Bollywoodery of Britney's Toxic, mm. is a close enough reminder of the joys of non-Western music to make even hardened pop cynics proclaim this, the child that Justin and Brittany never had. Mm. If their songs Sexy Back and Toxic were to somehow have impregnated each other I see and that, then though. gave birth, do you see? This is really like really well written, but like that's a run-on sentence. And I if I ever <laughs> if I ever wrote one. Extra special points go to Nadia for her glassy delivery, which is so robotically dry and haughty, howdy, that it would make Stephen Hawking's voice box sound like oh, an overexcited no. Tom Baker by comparison. That's bound to do things to certain hormonally driven listeners, most of whom will probably be male, safe to say. Yeah, (laughs) male and homosexual, safe to say. Yeah, she forgot that part. Certainly. (sighs) So, in summary, if you're out and about looking for the perfect tune to transform any party from drab two-girl boogie in the living room to the greatest night of your life, all caps, don't just linger outside with your face pressed against the door. Give the bell a toot and come in to my Egyptian lover. The one review is our <laughs> review. Can you believe it? That's a pretty Amazing. good review, though. And I do see the toxic plus sexy back vibes. I mean, the Timbaland totally. plus the like Orientalist um, yes. samples. So yeah, I can definitely see that. I would argue this review is pre-poptimism. Poptimist, yeah, like, it's pretty poptimist. You know? I mean, it, like, it gives due to pop music when it's good pop music, which is yes. what poptimism essentially kind of is. Exactly. So that was a four out of five rating by 
Fraser McAlpin. Thank you for your service, Fraser. That is so interesting to me, Joshua. I didn't realize that the reception was so like no no reception or like no anything. Yeah. Because then four years later, it's the opposite for Farah Abraham. So Farah is famous, like my perception of it coming into it was that it was critically panned in 2012 when it came out. And there's certainly plenty of reviews that did that. A lot of them compared them to Rebecca, Rebecca Black's Friday as like a failed attempt at making pop music, like machine pop, manufactured pop that had like no soul okay. or anything. At Jezebel, Tracy Egan mocked Abraham's account of her postpartum depression by saying, it's a song about recovering from suicidal thoughts. The irony is that it will make you want to kill yourself. Classic. Absolute classic switch, yeah. Yeah, that was the vibes, like, really, really hitting in it. Yet, at the same time, and this is the part that I didn't quite remember myself, there was tons of praise for it. Hmm. Even in 2012. The Guardian and Tiny Mixtapes named it one of the best albums of 2012. No way. Yes way, I know. And then oh people God. like, there was like certain publications that really take it really took it seriously as this like avant-garde experiment, as like outsider art. One of them is Alec McPherson wrote for fact that we decided to run this review without a rating. It's such an anomaly <gasps> that trying to fit it into any kind of scale seems pointless. There are no wow. comparison points. Consider it either a zero out of five or a five out of five, depending on your perspective, tolerance, and general sanity. So like these real like alt and electronic yeah. music publications like went all in like Tiny mixtapes, in fact, are like yeah. notable to me that they would bother. No, exactly, yeah. At the yeah. time, anyway. But I guess it was kind of, I mean, it was still celebrity teardown culture to an extent. But you can definitely start seeing, I don't think it started with Farrah, but at this point you can see how Poptimism is already creeping up its head. This album would have would not have been, been reviewed so generously five years before. Absolutely right. not. Even an album, and you can see that with an album like Paris Hilton's album, which I yeah. think arguably musically is better constructed or more like easy oh. to parse, and yet that was torn down. This, yes. I think, had the this had two elements that allowed for it to have positive reviews, and it's the fact that it was like a optimist era in the world. I think this is like when people are getting tired of like indie snobby culture and really like giving its due to pop music. And the fact that it's so out there that people have to, at that point, you have to take a pause and be like, okay, is this really that bad or am I like missing something? And I think that a lot of people took that a bit too far and uh. were like, this is like avant-garde. This is like totally like unseen before. This is like, I don't know, a lot mm. of the reviews very generously claim that this sort of like schizophrenic sound is a reflection of celebrity culture at the time. Or that this like sound of disjointedness between the words and the music is a reflection of being under the spotlight of reality TV. So like this sort of like mm -hmm. really far-fetched conceptual readings of the album as as like as like a really intentional by Farah Abraham as a commentary on being a reality star and how it like fucks up your mind. And that's why the album sounded so fucked up. <laughs> Which is funny because this and this Fader interview that I mentioned earlier came out 2017. And when you read that, all of these like really positive reviews are kind of like debunked because that's when the producer mentions that she'd never listened to the music, that yes. she like was just like journal entries that were like recorded on top of the music. So it's like it, it just shows how the extremes of optimism are bad. Like it's bad to be like 
super yes. against pop, but then it's also bad to just take anything and be like, oh, this is like such a commentary and like an avant-garde thing that is just, it's so bad that it's actually so good. Like assign meaning to something or assign art to something really. Without even knowing. Uh, I, t- I totally agree. I totally agree. But a bop's a bop. A bop's a bop. Yeah, no, a bop's a bop. A bop's a bop. And, that's, and that's why I say I think the producer deserves a lot of this credit. Yes. Because I do think that the album not only has a couple of bops, but it is a really interesting sound. I mean, it's so interesting that Gex are doing that nowadays and people love it, you know? So I do think there's like some really interesting stuff. I just think that there was like an overdetermination on Ferris involvement or artistry when it came to it. Yeah. So the reception, so as I mentioned, the reception, there was a lot of really bad reception, obviously. Um, but then there was like some astounding positive reception, even at the time that it came out. Um, and it's all, it's all based on this idea that it's like so avant-garde or right. kind of like the movie, the room that it's so bad that it becomes so good. Right. And then, so yeah, that was like where people were taking, I don't remember listening to the album when it came out. I don't think I remember reading reviews of it, but I never really listened to it. Same. I like, there was an era for, I think both of these albums of revisiting articles. Mm-hmm. I think the MIA album got this too. Yeah. Like they're always kind of blogged about like just yeah. trying to give credit where it's due. If it was torn apart by the press the first time around. Mm-hmm. Like when we were saying that, like there's like all these revisionist history to them, like five years later, is it because like there's like assumptions that they were misunderstood or like ahead of their time or something. And like, can we say it? Were they ahead of their time? Was Fair Abram's album, if not Fair Abram, was it ahead of its time? I've been thinking a lot about this because there's a lot of claims. If you go on pop hits on Reddit, everyone's like, oh, she invented PC music. Oh, she invented yes. gigs. Oh, she. There's actually, I want to read this quote that I had for the legacy part of, but we're in legacy. Before you do, I want to say yeah. you will find that for absolutely every fucking person on pop hits. Yeah. Like reading about these two artists, and yeah, I'll call them artists. I saw the same comments about, about people like Brooke Hogan, yes, about <laughs> Paris Hilton, Heidi Montag's career. But the, yeah, I mean, at a certain point, it's just kind of a repeated line, right? Yeah. Like, And I do love the Paris Hilton album, Don't Get It Twisted. Like, We did an, an entire episode about Paris when the documentary dropped right. and we revisited her album. And I was like the biggest fan in the chat about mm-hmm. the Paris Hilton album. Yeah, you were, yeah. But I mean, at a certain point, it's just like, if you like something... Just say that. You go on puppets and say, like, it inspired Charlie Xviac. <laughs> <laughs> and I love that you mentioned Charlie because the quote that I'm about to read that was published as a go review on. of Pop 2 in 2017 okay. by Megan Garvey yeah. said, Sweepingly ridiculed as one of 2012's worst albums, that judgment five years later feels widely narrow-minded. It's a baffling work of dubstep, EDM, Witch House, blah, blah, blah. Hmm. After my full spin of Pop 2, I couldn't shake the thought, this sounds like Farah, but good. Wow. So there's not even an assumption, there's an explicit statement that Charlie XCX Pop 2 could not have happened without Fire Abraham. So back to your question where you asked me, do I think that it shows ahead of their time? I don't think so. I disagree with this. <laughs> I think that it's very of its time. It sounds incredibly dubstepy, but maximal. <laughs> I think that if anything, it's like the missing link between dubstep and dare i say pc music sorry we're not allowed to say that word on you this podcast. <laughs> but it's like i don't think it's ahead of its air time. raid siren <laughs> <laughs> i 
I think it's not ahead of its time, but I think it explains like the link between full-on dubstep and then hyperpop. Hmm. But I think, I don't, I wouldn't say it's like, I don't know, it's hard. I do think it sounds more like Gex than it sounds Charlie, for sure. I think the Charlie comparison is unfair to Charlie. Yeah, because like Charlie is known for melody. I mean, some people are going to laugh, <laughs> right? But no, she is a absolutely. songwriter yeah. at the end of the day. No, I hear more for Gex. And, and it's mm-hmm. because I also hear like a Paramore vibe from right. moments in Farrah's I keep almost saying Farrah Fawcett. I don't even know who Farrah Fawcett is. <laughs> She's like a 70s actress. I do hear Paramore moments, like kind of pop punk vocals from her Dude. every once in a while. And I don't know if that's just auto-tune. Yeah, you know what I mean? I don't know if it's like Farrah's tone and delivery or if it's just the processing afterwards. I actually don't. But I hear that. The teen angst of both Paramore and Farrah? Could be that. Absolutely. Maybe it just comes out that way, right? Like like raw delivery, sort of, yeah. Yes. Yeah, yes. I think because the vocals on My Teenage Dream Ended are so bizarre, I think that the Charlie comparison is not fair. Or it's just not it. It's just not it. I don't think Charlie sounds like that at all. I think Gex sounds like that, yeah. I think some of Blady sometimes sounds like that, but I don't think Charlie sounds like that. I don't, I don't think Sophie sounds like this. Hmm. Yeah, essentially what I'm trying to say is like, yeah, I don't think... She invented this, that genre that we now call the age word. Um, was she ahead of her time? I think her producer was, maybe, in the like maximalist aesthetic. I do, maybe I'm being unfair to Farah, but I just don't see how writing a teenage journal and then reciting it in a studio over music that's been already produced uh, makes you ahead of your time. I think it goes back to the conversation we were hinting at about whether she's an outsider artist or not. Hmm. Which I don't know. That does goes to like discussion of like is Trisha Paytas an artist? Is uh, you know what I mean? Like it's, it's kind of like yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, it's interesting because I wish I could like roll the tape for you. But if you recall months ago, um, I was telling a story about when I went to an Umru show. This hmm. was obviously pre-COVID, so maybe a bit more than a few months ago. <laughs> but Umru is like a like I guess a hyperpop producer to put it bluntly. Mm-hmm. I think his PC signed or was at some point. Yeah, maybe so, maybe so. I know he does like a lot of graphic design for them too. So I went to a show, mm-hmm. and it was a very Gen Z crowd. It was a younger crowd for sure, mm-hmm. teens. And I was struck most of all by how they lost their mind when he dropped TikTok by Kesha. Mm-hmm. Because okay. to me, that's just, it's a decent, it's a good pop song, whatever. Yeah, yeah. But for them, it was like, it was almost like it was happening live. Right. Like it was like, like a resurgence of it was happening for that group of people in that very moment. So I think when we talk about Nadia O oh and um, Farah, I think we're also talking about an entire era of maximal pop music that Gen Z and many millennials grew up with and respect more by the day, it seems. Right. Yeah, yeah. Like this particular era of music is not quite retro, right? Mm-hmm. But it's not quite retro. And I don't think it ever had poptimism exactly like sure teenage dream by Katy perry classic poptimist record mm-hmm. but like the sort of more like trashy club pop i don't think ever got its due okay. and i think we'll reckon with it more mm-hmm. in the near future i don't think it's quite there yet but yeah does that make sense i think so yeah yeah i think something that is for sure the case about Farah is that 
listening to it in 2021 when I've already been exposed to a lot of these acts, mm. it sounds way more palatable, I think, than it would have been at the time. Yes, yeah. totally. Yeah. Because we can hear what it's referencing, but we can also hear like how it fits into the timeline of history. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which in a way is, it's not even that crazy. Like when you think of it that way, like we have all these references on either side of it. Mm-hmm. And yeah, for Nadia O, oh, I hear Hannah Diamond. Mm-hmm. Um, the like disinterested vocals. Mm-hmm. This is from her next album, Taking Over the Dance Floor. Mm-hmm. But it's one of the first Moombaton tracks ever, which is a genre that um, producers like Dylan Francis soon after made entire careers on. Oh, true. Lasting careers on. They're still like famous and mm. probably touring to this day. So like having hindsight really helps because yeah, we can sure. see these other people that succeeded doing essentially the same thing. Yeah. In Farrah Fawcett, oh my God. <laughs> in, in Farrah's case. Um, At least you're correcting yourself. You're not saying Mr. Orzo and then <laughs> not even noticing. <laughs> you know why? It's because I literally don't know how to say her last name. It's just like not sticking. Abram. Let's just say Abram. It's easier. Abram, right? Yeah. Two syllables. Anyways, whatever. There's a song also on Callers called Amsterdam that's literally a Sophie song. You know what right. I mean? Like, it's actually Take Me to Dubai. It's actually New York to Miami. You know, mm-hmm, it's mm-hmm. it's all of these things to a T. It's crazy. The only difference is Sophie had better vocal processing right. technology. Like, it just sounds a little cleaner. That's all. You know what I see for um, Nadia that I think I think you might agree with is that if Farah inspired Gex, let's just say that, but maybe not, then mm-hmm. Nadia inspired more of like the Sega Bodegas, the deconstructed club, more than the mm. quote unquote hyper pop. Like, you know what I mean? That like more like ballroom or more like club based music that is like yeah. club, but also a bit like left feel. Like, I guess Sophie's part of that. I'm thinking like. I think for a fact, we know Charlie knows Nadia. Oh, for sure. Yeah. And in fact, last year she was like, where is Nadia O on Twitter? So we know sure. that. Um, and maybe that's a UK thing too, like mm-hmm. just made more impact in the UK. But yeah, what's the gist of that? Like, yes and no, like influential and not influential. Yeah, I think influential, but no. Yeah, influ- influential, but we are cautious to overstate it. Like we don't want to say, yeah. because there's so many people out there saying that everything is proto hyper pop or proto this yeah that i think we acknowledge the impact that these both albums had but we don't think it's like we don't think they were the ones like single-handedly created the sound of these other artists i can commit to one i think okay in addition to charlie mm-hmm. being influenced by nadia sophie was influenced by nadia 100 percent. true true I wonder about Farah. Like, I don't think I could pinpoint, like, because musically to me, I, I think the closest link, just because of the vocals, is 100 Gex, and I'll keep saying that. I just don't know what the relationship of Gex to that is. Like, I don't know if they actually listened to it or if they enjoyed it. Right, right, But right. I think Farah did have, at the time, a huge cultural imprint. Like, every it was a conversation that people were having. So I find it hard that if you're making music, you're not, especially that kind of music, you're not somehow at least subconsciously aware yeah or like like a sponge you're taking it in somehow maybe not you're not referencing yes. it directly but you're taking in those ideas no 100 percent. and like i said that era of music we were all everyone making music now grew up during it essentially 
No, so totally, yeah. It makes sense. It makes sense that they were reading Fact magazine when they were 17, exactly, yeah. you know, or even younger. I feel like Fact is what put me on onto PC music a few years later. Right. Yeah, and they yes. were the ones that were being super, res- not respectful, like more than that. They were like super like Farrah Abrams, uh, an artistic genius. And yeah, let's be clear, PC music began like five years after Nadia O released her first album. Like really nothing. Yeah, like two after Farrah. Yes. It's really interesting. Yeah, it's all it's all part of the same like online ecosystem of like music journalism at the very least. Totally. Maybe cynical, but definitely true. I wonder if this conversation or like my sort of critical response about Farah, if it's something about like if poptimism is just dying or we're just a bit tired of it. Or maybe it's just my own personal reaction to it. I just find it to be like I really like it and I think it has bangers. I I was really put off by the article up an article that came out a few years late a few years after the fact being like she is like an outsider artist no one has like defined no one has been able to speak to the american experience as oh much as God. like well, no i'm just exaggerating no one's actually saying that yeah, yeah yeah there's like idea that there's like this really defined artistic intention behind it i think it put me off a bit because i do i do like the idea of taking serious taking pop seriously but i think it's good to have some boundaries for that it's good to be like okay Especially when you see what Farrah Abrams has been doing since. She hasn't really been doing any like amazing music since. So I don't I don't I don't buy it. I don't buy it as much as some people claim it. I don't think anyone should have to think about this as much as you have, to be yeah. fair. So <laughs> yeah. I feel a bit bad, honestly. <laughs> I've been tortured. <laughs> yeah. You're like gonna be triggered by autotune from now on. And I hate that for you, Juan. I hate that. No, I like I like it. I like Farrah as a as a cultural figure. I just if anything, I hate music writers. Yeah, of course. I love Farrah, but I just hate music writers so much. Well, I'm with you about optimism completely. I think it's gone way too far. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, I mean, what do you... We just have to keep talking about the music we actually like and think is good and not exactly, like it sucked yeah. into the Twitter moments of it all. Exactly, exactly. Or we can become rockists. Or rockists, which, <laughs> let's be honest, it's happening whether we like it or it's not. It's literally happening. I was in a room, I'll let you finish your thought, but I was in a room yesterday okay. where everyone was praising Steely Dan. <laughs> hilarious. Absolutely hilarious. Third, fourth, fifth, and sixth mic. <laughs> we should do a Steely Dan episode. We say Steely Dan at least once a year on this show, on this radio show. And once a year is a lot. <laughs> um, I do like them, though. But yeah, sorry. What are you I wonder what I was saying. So yeah, sorry. Something about Twitter moments. Oh, yeah. Tangent. But um, I just keep getting tricked by Twitter to watch bad TV shows. Such as? Like things that are supposed to be funny and then, oh, and then yeah. aren't. Like yeah. Barb and Star is a great example of that. Oh, my God. I, I hated that. Yeah, literally so disappointing. Similar vibe is Girls 5 Eva with Busy Phillips, who's a person oh, yeah. that I know exists. A person with existence? And it's just like, I felt like I was in a diaper wearing it. Like, it was so yeah. stupid. Like, yeah. I don't know. Comedy these days is, like, really fucked. I'm sure it's not, but, like, the stuff that's getting the headlines and the trending topics is, like, engineered. Yeah, exactly. That's it. It's like Twitter Moments is just a direct arm of PR agencies. Yeah. It occurred to me. And... I'm over it. Like, that element of optimism has to die. Yeah. You know? Because they're the ones being like, oh my God, Taylor, like, so excited to see you at the Billboard Awards tonight. They're the ones tweeting that way now. It's not even Stans anymore, you know? It's like, it's the AMA account. No, Stans moved past that. Yeah. Yeah, Stans are, like, too critical of that. They're now it's, like, literally, like, Netflix 
Twitter yes. being like, yes, Lee Mama. It's like, at Netflix, queer. <laughs> they knew the fucking assignment, auntie. <laughs> we've been new. Then period saying, we've been new, Ariana, queen of the charts. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so we just have to be careful because optimism is our thing. We have to be careful who's yeah. getting their grubby fucking hands on it. Exactly. It's our thing and we have to be... And we have to be careful on how we use it too, you know? Yes. I think poptimism is good in terms of like respecting the craft of pop music, which is an artistic endeavor. Please, yes. highly rigorous and incredibly hard to do. Yet, yeah. that doesn't mean that you can praise any reality star who sang on a track as an outsider artist. I think the outsider artist in question is the producer of that album. I will say this about both Nadia and Farah. I commend the like guts of making both of those albums because they're both so out there. Yes. Yeah. So at least they're not settling for middle. They were like really went full on and did something insane. Yeah. So that's commendable. No, there's screamers, hymns, <laughs> gospels, <laughs> gospels spread throughout those albums. I really recommend them. Um, I have like a list of hilarious Nadia O tweets that I please, want to read. Please, please, yeah. But I'm just wondering first if mm-hmm. we should talk about music videos because Nadia O has an aesthetic, oh. I'll say that. And I'm wondering if Farah did any videos. For she did a video for a song that was released after the album called The Moving, I think. Let me check. But it was just like really cheap, low production Hair at a club right. with her friends. Um, yeah, there wasn't really much more, much to it. But Nadia definitely has a much more of a visual persona. Oh my God, does she ever? Um, yeah, I'm watching the fair video that I was mentioning, and it's just like, okay, one thing that I do will give her that is really funny is like, she is like her avatar on her own Twitter, and she's like singing as the avatar. So like, I, I do think she's definitely obviously very conscious of her like public persona and her music reflects that i just don't think it's like avant-garde i think is my main beef with writers like i do think Farah is very conscious of what she's doing i just don't think it's like avant-garde art i think the avant-gardeness of it comes from the musical stylings by the producer which is obviously its own kind of avant-gardeness yeah totally i think yeah i think he or like the album is avant-garde but i don't think fair is like an outsider artist okay yeah. yeah very fine line but i get it yeah very fine so i think for nadia O. After watching her music videos, I think it's the uncanniness. Mm-hmm. It's the uncanniness for me. No, it's the... <laughs> <laughs> okay, Netflix Twitter account. <laughs> um, no, it's the uncanniness, I think, because it sounded so much like music of the time, but it just like was more, like cranked up a little, like really the tiniest bit, right? Mm-hmm. So I think that is unsettling for people. Like, if you look at the iconic Got Your Number video, mm-hmm. it's like, okay, let me backtrack. Every video is the same. She has a few videos. They're all green screen. They're Mm. all highly filtered. You can, like, she's in every shot, but you can barely see her face. Mm. There's, like, lens flares, and it's, like, always palm trees, and, like, she's maybe in a jungle, or, like, there's B-boys break dancing. (laughs) Okay. And, like, crazy camera shots, like, going all over the place, and, like, she can't dance, so she's just, like, moving her shoulders, if Mm. you know, you know, okay? (laughs) She, like, pivots her shoulders, and, like, that's her move. So every video is that, but the green screen graphics are like impeccable it's like Mm. she's in miami she's in a jungle she's at a discotheque she's at a roller rink (laughs) not a Um, discotheque (laughs) yeah so like got your number is very that um the song called n-a-d-i-a-o-h her name spelled out 
is like kind of it gave me like J-Lo, you know, right. like Jenny from the Block almost. Just like very bronzed. Like she's very true, true, true. T- like self-tanned in it. Okay, I thought she was like Middle Eastern for the longest okay, time. Okay, she is. Oh, okay, she is. Okay, okay, okay. I think that's literally not to drag an entire continent, yeah. but I think it was uncanny for a lot of people, like how she looked. I think she was ambiguous racially. Right, right, yeah. And also not to drag an entire continent, but I feel like even Latin America too, like when they, when a lot of pop music gets like sort of transported, there's a lot of like a bootleg aesthetic to it, which is, I think really can be really cool. But a lot of like, especially visually, pop music has that like bootleg aesthetic that I think Nadia has a bit. Yes, totally. Like um, CGI butterflies all yeah. around her. Like it's, it's like destined for a t-shirt. Like XXXO. Like XXXO, exactly. It's like straight off early internet, but much later, you know, mm-hmm. like not referencing unless... so this is a bit related to about her music videos and stuff but liz who we've reviewed quite a while ago on the on the pod she's kind of a pc adjacent artist not not related but does that kind of hyper hyper space pop sound Mm. not the genre (laughs) she said in an interview with paper mag about her song lottery with asia from maybe last year she said it's an ode to nadia O. Her CGI visual style was super glossy and felt earnest and unironic at the time. Us girls play around with those types of aesthetics now because we're nostalgic for the early 2000s, but Nadia was doing it in real time and probably had no idea the kind of influence she would have on underground pop culture in the future. And that's true. That's actually really interesting, and I don't want to get into a whole discussion about this, but there's something about both Farah and Nadia where what they do is very sincere Yes. And then it's taken up in a really ironic way, which I think is why is annoying when the critics say, because they don't really mean that. They don't, yes. really, like when they say outsider artist, like by saying outsider is already like so demeaning and condescending right. and they do it ironically. They don't, they don't actually believe that. I mean, how is she an outsider? She's a fucking MTV star. That's why she's an outsider. Yeah, I guess that's she doesn't understand saying. music. <laughs> yeah, I guess, yeah, you're right. <laughs> but what I mean to say is just that this like uptake of like something that is like obviously sincere and then like with an ironic detachment in terms of like the appreciation. The appreciation yes. is ironic, but the content is sincere. It's like devil's advocate almost. Yeah. yeah that's no, what those blogs that. were doing. Yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. I agree. That's all I got on reception, I think. Yeah, me too. And like maybe legacy, but we can talk about her future now. Like the future of these artists, if there is any. <laughs> I don't think there's any. <laughs> well, Farah's running for office when she turns 30. That's all I know about Stop. her. Stop. Yeah, she said, she tweeted that recently. Okay. Yeah, so that's her future, politics. It's interesting that we have two kind of right-leaning yeah, that's actually ex-pop stars now. Someone needs to study that academically because there's something there. I'll do it. <laughs> I, I mean, like, I think getting spit out by the music industry... And honestly, any industry, like yeah. whether it's like mining or whatever. Yeah. Especially public facing ones, though, like the music one. Sure, yeah. especially public facing. But I think being like used for your labor and right. then like not having a job at the end, other end of it is like prime normal person to Tory pipeline. Yeah, 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 <laughs> yeah no, totally. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Like inward looking is how you become and like basically paranoid about yeah. everyone around you. I think that. That makes sense to me. And Farah had, uh, she got mini canceled because one of the fights that I was watching, she says something really racist in the middle of the fight. She's fighting like a black woman. Um, mm-hmm. And then I guess she probably got canceled. I don't know. And a lot of what she was retweeting was Caitlyn Jenner being like, I'm on a cancel, cancel culture. You know how Caitlyn Jenner is running for right. governor, governess? 
Um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so she's very anti-cancel culture, Farah is. And so is, yeah, so is Nadia, because mm-hmm. she loves Piers Morgan. Right. I can read you some of her tweets. Please. I'll start with potential of more music, okay? Because that's, like, most rele- most relevant. And then I'll, like, I'll, like, descend into madness later on <laughs> in terms of her tweets. But um, there were murmurs of her being locked in a contract, unable to make more music. That's apparently, according to, like, Reddit and stuff like that and YouTube comments, that's, like, her current state. Mm-hmm. But apparently she teased a comeback last year because she uploaded her old music videos to YouTube. So they're actually available in decent quality now. And someone asked her in the comments and she hinted at like some kind of comeback. And then more recently too, someone asked her on Twitter, on her account, um, Nadia Oates1990. (laughs) Someone asked her what happened to her music career. And she said, quote, I can't say. And then the emoji of the monkey covering its mouth. But keep jamming, hon. I'll be jamming with you. Kissy face. Mm. I need a tell-all, honestly. Fuck. It's so uh, annoying. She needs to do a memoir. And then later, and actually in February of this year, she tweeted at MNEK, that singer-producer oh, yeah. from the UK, yeah. saying, please check your inbox. What? So that's fucking real. Like, that had, like, three likes on it. No one saw that, okay? This is a late-breaking, hot <laughs> like, singles yeah, exclusive. fucking exclusive scoop. headline. I don't think MNEK is going to want to work with her if she's really, like, um, a Tory, but we'll see. <laughs> I don't love MNEK for her anyway, to be I don't honest. Yeah, that's yeah, not exactly right. That. I think it's all Charlie. They're, they're on, like, fucking, like, drag race nowadays. MNEK. Yeah, yeah exactly, right? exactly. Yeah, yeah it's yeah. not right. But yeah, so, long story short, Poptimism has allowed her to, I think, flourish more than when her career was happening. Yeah, like, totally. she, she has an afterlife in a kind of sick way. Sorry mm-hmm. to put it that way, but it's true. <laughs> Why gotta be sick? Yeah, it was like extravagant kind of music. And I think yeah. maybe that is the current moment more than it is now yeah. in an interesting way. Roaring 20s, you now know? Now more than ever. Now more than ever. But let's talk tweets. I keep hinting at the tweets. Oh my God. Now I'll actually say the tweets, okay? So she tweeted, We'll not be watching Good Morning Britain now that Piers Morgan is no longer on there. The TV show will turn into a complete wet weekend now. Okay. Watch ratings go down. I've never heard Wet Weekend before. Yeah, it sounds like a fun time. I don't get it. It does. Maybe it <laughs> relates to like a like a music festival being rained out. No, you're thinking too much. Wet um, Weekend. I think I think like Wet Blanket. Maybe just like boring and like... Yeah, okay. Yeah. Oh yeah, like it's your time off, so like rain would ruin it. Yeah. <laughs> it's clearly a British saying that I've never heard. Anyways, I have more tweets for you. How much better does fake tan make you feel? Hashtag weekend prep. <laughs> <laughs> She should go on Love Island. Period. All I want to do is live in tracksuits and trainers. All I want to do is eat what I like and look like a Victoria's Secret model. Is that too much to ask? Relatable queen. She should put that in her internet song. Those lyrics. (laughs) These are all lyrics, first of all. First and foremost. I don't even think you can call how I have my coffee. Coffee. More like hot sweet milk. Hashtag coffee lover. (laughs) She's such a hun. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah, she's on. I don't understand why people feel the need to plaster their bodies over social media. Can no one keep anything private these days? See, oh, that's the Tory coming, coming out. for the gays. Yeah. <laughs> um, few more here. I have a full list that I custom compiled of every TV show she's tweeted about yeah, yeah. since 2016. She loves reality TV. She says her favorite reality show is called First Dates, which I want to watch now. Oh, I've seen that. I've seen clips. Never of seen that. it. She also said Love Island. She said Married at First Sight, Great British Bake Off. She should watch The Circle. Towie, 
Toei. I don't know. I think what that that's is. I, I've heard that, but I don't know what it is. Yeah. X Factor, Empire, Power, Game of Thrones. She watches a lot of like morning news, as you can imagine, with Piers Morgan. Yeah, from Piers Morgan. Yeah. ITV. Um, that's all I got. That is um, her vibe. That's so funny. And I'm just happy she's tweeting at all. Uh, yeah, Farah has a YouTube channel that honestly, I checked for a sec, but I didn't really get into it. I don't like content in that way is not as interesting as like yeah, it's spur of the moment yeah. reality TV tweets, you know. So that's that. I think. Yeah. That's that. In terms that's of Space Cowboy, he had an album called Digital Rockstar. I don't know. Yeah. I actually don't know where this other guy, Frederick Cuevas, the producer of the album, went. I know. It's kind of like a true crime, like unsatisfactory oh, yeah. ending. I, like, saw, I found his Twitter and he says, work featured in Netflix, own Hulu, BT, Essence. I don't know. He probably just makes like maybe soundtracks. Top 200 album of the decade, Anthony Fantano, because I guess... Uh, the needle drop named that fair album as a top 200 album of the decade. Oh, he was one of those like kind of, yeah, cynically optimist reviewers, I think. Yeah, yeah. And he specifically has had to like backtrack a lot because he used to be very anti-pop and like, right. I feel like people called him out a lot for that. Totally. Yeah. And he gets better clicks. I think if he actually talks about this music that I don't yeah. think he really likes. No, totally. Um, I remember I sent you like an annoying needle drop tweet earlier today actually and it was just like one sentence ending with a period which i think really rubbed me the wrong way it said this <laughs> alice glass is proto hyper pop period smashed the period on that and i was like it's a period for you i was like okay fuck that like you can't just say everything is proto hyper pop like she she replied did you see that she's like thank you yeah, because they're like friends and like he reviews all of her shit, of course. Mm. So he's a media outlet, essentially. Yeah. He's MTV. He's the AMAs at this point. Like <laughs> He's more relevant than... He's Netflix. He's yeah. at Netflix on Twitter. But it's like, yeah. I agree with at you. At this point, I think all pop music is proto-hyperpop by definition. If you think about it, yes. Because that's what... It, it's all referencing yeah. like glossy pop music of your... Yeah, yeah. So probably what's actually proto hyperpop is something like Girl Talk, which was actually fifty songs in one. Sugar Babes. Sugar Babes. Okay, I'll take it. <laughs> I'm just naming any <laughs> pop act now. <laughs> no, like Girl Talk, like remixes, mashups. Right, right, right. Like yeah, that yeah, is, I remember them. Yeah, that's actually the kind of vision of yeah current hyperpop. Yeah. Like you know, yeah, I think like I don't think pop music is proto hyperpop, or if it is, all of it is. That's what I'm saying. No, you're right. You're right about that. And I feel like a lot of people are like confusing maximalism with hyperpop. Everyone was saying, and they're not everyone, but yeah. a lot of people in the replies was like, Death Grips, Arca, that's not hyperpop. That's like challenging maximalist music, but there's nothing. Yeah, whatever. I don't even want to get into this, but yeah, it's not that. It's not. Yeah, calling Arca proto hyperpop, like, I feel like time just folded in on itself. Like, the timeline doesn't even work for that. Yeah. Yeah. Death Grips, like, Timeline it works, but it's not. There's no pop in in Death Grooms. No, I guess it's catchy, but no, it's not pop. It's not pop. I mean, it's ma yeah, it's maximal. Like there's, it's it's all conflation for no reason. Yeah, yeah, yeah it's yeah. just people wanting to tweet. I think actually, <laughs> literally, people yeah. need to tweet about something. <laughs> and there's wow, we sound happening. bitter today. I don't feel bitter though. No, I don't. I don't either. I think I think it's a real issue plaguing society. There's too much proto hyper pop proclaimants and i think we need to scale it down yeah proto hyperpop is the new optimism yeah 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 i think it's because like hyperpop is the only thing that has felt new 
in like a decade essentially oh fuck. so so yeah. much of like music discourse and writing has been centering around that and now there's like a revisionist history to try and see what influenced that but mm. i mean alice glass sure maybe like why not yeah like what are you saying like by that standard britney spears is proto-hyperpop right yeah yeah like toxic is proto-hyperpop yeah my fucking farts are proto-hyperpop jesse we're coughing <laughs> <laughs> stupid <laughs> referencing myself okay i think that's it listener um yeah, that's it. let us know let us know what we just said first of all yeah please remind <laughs> please i literally don't reflect that let us know what we said um let us know what you think send us your favorite songs by these ladies and anyone mm. similar if you have like brooke hogan faves i would actually love to hear that yeah um i want you to to like fill the discord with your favorite kind of like commercial side project pop mm-hmm. music you know? Kim Kardashian has one of those. Yes, Heidi definitely. Montag, that kind of vibe. And sorry, like Nadia was not a side project. That was her whole shit. But yeah. in retrospect, like it's just, it just vanished in a flash. Like it's just weird. Like give us more stuff like that. Send us your faves. And thank you for listening. Thank you. We love you. Play some sad. I was her music. <laughs> <laughs> okay, we'll see you soon. Bye.